The passage we're focusing on today is Luke 1, 26 through 38. Let me read it for you. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Thank you. Good morning, everyone, again, as we are uh, in this second week of Advent and in this incredible story that takes place where the angel appears to Mary. And I want us to stop and think about this story for a second of just actually how wild this story is, okay? Like, I think these, these stories are familiar, but what is happening here is pretty wild. But what's uh, also even more wild is it's true. This is a crazy story that is also true. This actually happened. Uh, To stop and think for a moment about a young woman who is engaged to be married. And all of a sudden, an angel appears to her. Like, think about that. An angel appearing to you. And then the angel says, hey, you're going to have a baby. And I know, you're a virgin. And you're going to stay that way. And guess what? You're still going to have a baby. And that's just like, wow, what is happening here? This is all through God's spirit and power. Oh, and also, that baby is the Messiah that everyone's been waiting for. And that baby you will have will be the Savior, the Messiah. All that is going to happen to you. So just kind of put yourself into that mode a little bit and understand that this isn't just some little announcement or just some little part of a story you've grown very familiar with. But this is all happening to real people in real time. And we have the chance to look into it and study it and get to know it. And hopefully it will speak to you. And uh, understand, understandably so, Mary is confused. She's confused and disturbed. But hope comes out of that. 
There is hope out of that confusion. And so that's for us today in this whole Thrill of Hope series. There is hope that is coming out of this moment of confusion. And uh, I'm excited for us to be able to dig into it a little bit more. So let's look here again just at those first few verses as we see how even our confusion will be met with God's presence and power. Uh, so let's just read again because I want this to like really get into our hearts and minds. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. Now, you know, just stop and think about like when she says she's confused and disturbed. I mean, think about if like what you saw last week if you were here, AJ Torres in that angel outfit. Like that would be disturbing to all of us. I mean, I think it was. Uh, <laughs> I love you, buddy. Uh, but no, but like that's uh, just. I mean, get your head around that. An angel appears to her, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. And then kind of like, I want to skip over that middle bit and go to verse 34. And it says, Mary asked the angel, but how? But how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he'll be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she's conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. So there's this confusion, there's this disturbance, but God meets her with his presence and with his power. And that's I think that's a beautiful thing for us when we consider even being confused and disturbed. It might be a, a feeling we can relate to, especially if you think about if stuff like this were to happen to you. And even in the way that God does speak to us today, like consider this, like God appearing to you in a dream. We see that throughout the, the biblical texts or in a vision of some sort or his voice speaking to you, a thought you might have from him, a word from a friend, an angel appearing to you. All of that, all of that I think can be scary, can be confusing. We don't understand how God works. And I think that many of us could relate to like a sense of uncomfortability of God coming here and through an angel and speaking to us. And definitely so is Mary. Mary's here in this spot, confused, disturbed, but I believe it's what we should desire. I believe it's what we should expect, that we can hear from God, that God will speak to us through his word and through all these other kinds of ways. And yeah, that might be a bit confusing. That might be a bit disturbing to some of you. And that's understandable. It's honestly understandable if that's how you feel about it. But what we see in Mary is she kind of, she presses in and we see this response from her that I think is something that as we get to it, I think we can learn so much from. But often we're afraid of what God might ask us to do. 
often we're afraid of what, uh, like how God might speak to us. Or, you know, I think a lot of times it's just like, if, well, if God's going to ask me to do something, it's probably going to be something like super horrible that I really don't want to do. And I have to move across the world to some like place and live in a shack or, you know, like, I don't know, whatever that might be. And you, you know, you might be afraid to listen to God because you're not sure of what he might call you to do. And he might call you to do that. But I bet if he calls you to do that, it won't be horrible. You'll love it. You'll feel like you're in the heart of your calling and what he has for you. And so in a lot of ways, like I want us to move away from this fear but we still might be confused. And Mary has this whole moment where she says, but how? Verse 34, but how? Like what? She doesn't understand. Like, I, I don't get it. How is this supposed to happen? It's uh, what one commentator I read said, it's cautious curiosity. She's, she's unsure. She's not uh, even necessarily doubting, people think. Like, because you, you've got these two stories from last week. It was Zechariah who asked like a question. He really asked the angel, same, same angel, by the way, Gabriel appeared to, um, appeared to Zechariah while he's a priest in the temple performing these rituals of lighting this incense. And he asks God to prove it, essentially. It's like, show me a sign. And he's really been relying on all of these, these rituals in the Old Testament law. It says he's righteous. He's keeping the law. He is one that's probably finding all of his, like, significance and even his salvation through keeping of the law, doing all of the rituals. And I think he was even kind of holding on to that. So he's like, prove it to me. Now we get to Mary, who is told all this is going to happen to her. And she's just like, wait, but how? <laughs> and so it's a little bit of this cautious curiosity, which I think a lot of us might have. And at some level, I think too, that uh, this priest that's like been a priest his entire life, and then this very young, some think like 14-year-old girl, like maybe are, are kind of held to some different expectations at some level uh, by, by the angel or God through this, through this angel. But you think of this verse, Isaiah 14. There's a lot of prophecies in the book of Isaiah about the Messiah to come. And this one, it says here, all right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So this prophecy is given about how the Messiah will be born of a virgin. And she likely even knows about this prophecy. And so then the angel comes and is like telling her all this. And it's like, wait a minute, that's me? <laughs> right? Like think about that moment where she's just like, this is me? I'm the one that's going to do this? Like I, I don't know. Like this is a lot. She might have had an expectation of how the Messiah would come. They're all hoping and longing for the Messiah to come. And then to, to hear this, I don't think this was the way she thought the Messiah would come. Or like what her role would be in all of this to raise this baby that will be the Messiah who still was having poopy diapers and, you know, probably spitting up and all of that stuff. Stuff, like all of that Mary was called to be part of. This is an unexpected way. I'm sure she imagined the Messiah coming in a stronger way, kind of like what most people did at that time, to come in as a mighty warrior of some sort to free them from the Roman Empire and the oppression of the Roman Empire. But he came to free them from an oppression very different and actually much more insidious than the Roman Empire, and it's the oppression of sin. And so Jesus came to free them from their enslavement to that. 
So does God operate differently than we expect today? I would say likely so. Likely so. We put God in a box and say, this is how God can work. But I think God says, I will work the way I choose to work. God won't act in a way that, is, that opposes his word that he's given us or contradicts it. But he might, like, just likely we might <laughs> get it wrong more often than we think we do. Kind of like the, the most expert religious scholars of the first century did. They were completely getting it wrong. So we want to be humble before our God, the God of the universe. Lord, you work in the way that you choose. Because as Mary said, or as the angel said, sorry, not Mary, as the angel said, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. God will do what God will do. And so we need to be people that will humbly respond to that. But God's response to our, our questioning, our cautious curiosity, is to give us hope. Really to give us hope. But that hope is through his presence with us. His power. It is the power of God that will come upon Mary and to be with her in the midst of all of this confusion. And it is God's power that will make any of this happen, a virgin birth to be able to happen. Because that's a miracle. It's a miracle. And even reassures her saying, hey, look, by the way, you're, you know, Elizabeth, she's also pregnant. This woman who's an old woman who everyone said couldn't have children her whole life. And she also believed it because it hadn't happened. And then God shows this incredible miracle through Elizabeth and reassures Mary through saying, hey, look, there's this other miracle has happened. A miracle has happened there and a miracle can happen in your life as well. It will happen in your life. And so maybe we need to look at both Mary and Elizabeth and say, okay, Lord, yes, nothing is impossible with you. A miracle can happen in my life. A miracle can happen through my life to minister to others and to proclaim who Jesus is to others. Now, all of that, like, that requires trust, right? That requires some significant trust. And we build our trust through our waiting. So let's look at, at verse 38 here real quickly. Luke 1, 38. This is Mary's response. This is a very famous and incredible response of Mary. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Uh, other versions, may it be done unto me according to your word. May it be done unto me according to your word. That I am God's servant. I submit because I will do whatever God wants. I'm the Lord's servant. And Mary is a, a pretty incredible example of instant trust. She just right here. I mean, she's told this whole thing, like really astonishing things about what her life will be. And she just instantly, her response is, all right. I'm the Lord's servant. I'm in. You know, that's kind of just like, she's like the first person in a text thread where you invite some people to something that's just like, I'm in. You know, like, I like that person's like, oh, yes, thank you. Somebody likes me, right? Like, yeah, she, she is that person right away. It's just like, I'm in. I'm the Lord's servant. May it be done unto me according to your word, Lord. And uh, I think instant trust is pretty cool. And sometimes we can have that same instant trust. But sometimes our trust is built through the waiting. That waiting is trusting. That we have to be a people who, who wait 
and trust in God. We wait upon him, and then he builds our ability to trust in him. Now, um, this whole thing of, of waiting, I want to talk about waiting a little bit, because Advent is all about waiting. As we said earlier with, with the lighting of these candles, that Advent means arrival, right? So if there's an arrival, there's been people waiting for the arrival of the one who is to come. And so all of this, this whole period of Advent is to teach us a little bit of what the waiting was like for the people of Israel. That Christmas Day is Christmas, and sort of uh, in, in the more of like church tradition, it's been that this period is called Advent, and then when Christmas Day comes, then it's Christmas season after that, and you'd have like the 12 days of Christmas or whatever after that, right? And so like you have this period of time that is Christmas. Like we think of December as Christmas, but that's why December is Advent because we're waiting, waiting for the arrival and it's the, the arrival of Jesus that we're waiting for. And so it's important for us as we hope to build a trust that's like Mary's in this story, we build that kind of trust through learning how to wait. And I was thinking about this waiting and I, I talked to, actually at our staff chapel about this a little bit this week, just as God had put some thoughts on my heart, even like the morning before that, of just thinking about this waiting. And I want us like to understand how, how extreme some of this waiting was when you think about the Old Testament biblical waiting. Uh, I, I, like think about Moses, okay? Moses delivering the people, like through God's power, delivering the people from their slavery, and they go out, they're given the law, that whole story. Some of these dates are approximate, okay, because uh, people argue about these kind of dates, but you're talking like 1,400 years before the Messiah is born, okay? 1,400 years of waiting from that point to when the Messiah would come. That's a long time. King David, King David and his reign, he is part of the line of the Messiah to come. That was a thousand years before Jesus, a thousand years. Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, we just read about these prophecies of the virgin birth. There's other prophecies of the Messiah in that book of Isaiah. It's written like 700 years before Jesus came. And then the end of the Old Testament uh, to the beginning of the Gospels is 400 years of waiting. So even for us, like, think about a thousand years ago. That's like Middle Ages, Crusades, that sort of time. That is a long time ago. 700 years ago, it's beginning of the Ottoman Empire. It's like when Genghis Khan was roaming, <laughs> roaming Asia and causing all sorts of mayhem. Yeah, we see you shooks from Mongolia over there. Uh, and, uh, but like all of that, that's 700 years ago. And then I think about 400 years ago, 400 years ago is like when Shakespeare died. 400 years ago is when the Mayflower came. 400 years ago is when these first slave ships came upon the shores of what is now the United States of America. And you think about the hope and longing for freedom, right? The hope and longing for being freed from enslavement. And we even think about enslavement to sin and that kind of oppression. But you think about these people that arrived on the shore and, and 400 years later to today, how, how I would long to take them from that moment and to place them into the time today that we long. This is, this is long, long waiting, generational waiting 
that these people of Israel were waiting for the Messiah to come. Like this is, this, like I think a lot of times we think about these Bible stories or the whole Bible even itself. It's like watching a movie or something and it would just kind of, maybe it's, even as long as a century or something. But it's just, we don't get that scope of time. This is thousand plus years of waiting. It is long. And so obviously over that kind of time, stuff happens where it's like, stuff gets twisted. Things, people start making up other, like, other answers to the problem because the answer isn't coming that we've been waiting for. They've been waiting for the Messiah. They started coming up with other Messiahs or started twisting the reasons why the Messiah would come over that kind of waiting. I want to read a couple verses to you. You, you won't see them on the screen. Just listen to them. Psalm 27, 14. Uh, it says this, Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. I love that verse because it says to be brave and courageous, not be brave and courageous and so rise up with your sword and take on the challenge yourself. No, it says wait patiently for the Lord. That is how to be brave and courageous is to wait upon him. So we wait upon him. We trust in him. Second Peter 3, 9, and 10. It says this. The Lord, let me actually start at verse 8. It says, but you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. It kind of helps you get into the mindset of God, his eternal frame of mind, right? Just a thousand years is like a day to the Lord. Verse 9, the Lord isn't really slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Get that? God isn't slow. Like we might think, oh, we're waiting upon God and he's slow. Here it's showing the heart of God that he's slow even in his return as we long for him to return. In the same way they were longing for the Messiah to come, we long for him to come back again. And we feel like, Lord, even that refrain, that scriptural refrain of, Lord, come quickly. Come quickly, Lord. We need you. And we think he's slow, but God says, no, 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 I'm I'm slow, be patient, because this is for you. I want to give everyone a chance to repent as much as possible. So waiting, when we think about this kind of biblical waiting, some of it's just actually waiting. It's just like what we think of just actual waiting, right? Like very literally waiting. But it's also this sense of hoping in God, counting on God, trusting in God. We believe, God, that you will work in some way. It might be very different than what we might expect, but we count on God and trust in him to do his work. One other verse I wanted to read you that was like striking to me too is Isaiah. Isaiah 40 uh, and starting in verse 22. It says, God sits above the circle of the earth. The people below seem like grasshoppers to him. He spreads out the heavens like a curtain and makes his tent from them. So imagine God sits 
above the circle of the earth. He's showing us how God is bigger. God sees it all. God sees all the circumstances that we can't see. God sees time differently than we see time. He sees space differently than we see space. And God sees it all. And so in light of that, and in light of his power, it keeps going. I'll, I'll skip down to verse 26. It says, look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each star by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. Oh, Jacob, that's Israel. Oh, Jacob, how can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? Oh, Israel, how can you say God ignores your rights? Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. So our God sees it all and he's strong enough to be able to handle it all. And then comes this famous verse, Isaiah 40, 30 and 31. Even youths will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Other versions say those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Those who wait upon the Lord. So wait and trust. You can even see in those translations like that some people translate that Hebrew word trust and some uh, translate it wait because it's a very similar thing. Waiting is trusting. So as the song I sang when I was a little kid was, was, so it would end with, help me Lord, help me Lord to wait. That was a song based on that verse. And it would just end, help me, Lord, help me, Lord, to wait. And that's my, my prayer and my prayer for you. Help us, Lord, help us, Lord, to wait upon you. And I, I think waiting kind of like sounds good as a, as a Bible verse or maybe even like a spiritual discipline, right? A spiritual practice as we have been talking about. Um, but it's actually just pretty hard, right? <laughs> waiting is, is actually really hard. Um, and so I encourage us to not become impatient with God or to change how we think God like should work, how he said he will work in the scriptures or try to handle things on our own. But waiting is just really hard because God has this eternal perspective that I know that I need, but is hard for me to have. God, with that view of over all the world and over all time, God has this different perspective that is, is really difficult for us to get into. But we can sort of practice this by trying to, to do these things sort of as a spiritual practice at some level of being still and quiet before the Lord and trusting in Him. I think fasting, fasting and prayer is a way of waiting upon the Lord that can help us to put that into practice. Um, I think you can even... Think about not satisfying every whim or desire that you might have to deny yourself in some way is to also wait upon the Lord, that God will give you what you need maybe instead of you just satisfying your needs. Uh, it could even be waiting to speak 
If you're a person that in a, in a group setting or in a Bible study or whatever that might be, you just, you find yourself as someone, and I'm just kind of speaking to myself here, but you find yourself as someone that always speaks first. Wait, wait and speak last and allow others to speak. It's just a, a spiritual practice of waiting, of waiting and allowing others to have that space. But to practice trust, trusting God before solving things yourself. And like all spiritual practices, as we've tried to say over and over again, it's not about the waiting. It's not about the practice. It's about the one we're waiting for. It's about Jesus. This is all about Jesus. We're waiting for him. We're waiting for his arrival. We, we longed, the people of Israel longed and waited for his arrival to come at, at, at what we call Christmas, when Jesus was born onto this earth. And now we long and wait for him to return, to come again. Lord, come quickly. Do you long for that? Is that a desire of your heart to pray and hope that Jesus would return? I want to read uh, Hebrews 9, 27 to 28 here. It says this, Just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment, so also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. He's already dealt with our sins. We look for him. We wait for him. We're eagerly waiting for his return because we know that our hope for ultimate peace, as we consider even have we, we've uh, lit the peace candle, our hope for ultimate peace is only found in Jesus. Peace comes through this child that we celebrate. This verse, uh, that's why I waited on this little middle part here, Luke 1, 31 to 33. This is how the angel describes the baby. It says, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. That this is a king who is coming, being born as this little baby, a king whose rule will never end. He will always reign. He is the Son of the Most High God. And we know that we find peace in Jesus, through the work of Jesus, that Jesus came, God himself, to live upon this earth the perfect life that none of us could live. And he willingly, as God, very God, went upon the cross, died upon the cross, taking the sin of the world, taking your sin and mine upon himself, and canceling our debt to sin, paying the price that we could not pay. And then on the third day rose again in victory and power over all of it. And we have peace, eternal peace, ultimate peace because of what he has done for us. And so we celebrate that, the beginnings of that story in this Christmas story. That, that peace is really, it comes through grace. That God himself, yeah, I, I think it's just astounding that what he does for us is gives us grace. It's Grace is not something we deserve. It's undeserved mercy 
right? He says, I will give you this grace. And what's cool is in this story, Mary is called favored one, and favor is given to her, and she's given these, these accolades from this uh, angel Gabriel. But it's not because she's special or something she's done. It's not like, oh, favored one, like, oh, you've done such a great job. You are a righteous person yourself. It's not about that. Actually, this Greek word that is used here in this passage that says favored one, it is the same word that is used for grace. It's the Greek word charis. It means grace. You are the one that has grace. You are the one given grace by God. And so it's out of that grace, this undeserved mercy, that we can experience the forgiveness that we have in Jesus. And that's why Mary is used here in this passage is because of the grace of God. It's all about grace. We are saved by grace through faith. We don't have to do something special. We don't have to think Mary did something special. She's just the Lord's servant. I am the Lord's servant. May it be done unto me according to your word. She's not better than you, but she certainly is a a model of an example to follow. I am the Lord's servant. I am the Lord's servant. I'm in, Lord. I'm in whatever you want. Full submission. I'll do what you ask. That was her response. And so I pray that would be our response as well. And what we're able to do now is to take this moment here today to remember in communion. What we remember in communion here is that peace always has a cost. Peace has a cost. Often in war, peace eventually comes, but it has had a brutal, horrific cost. But we long for the peace, right? Our, the peace that we have is because Jesus took the cost upon himself. And so as we remember in communion, we remember it's not just a baby born. And even before we get to Easter, we remember Good Friday. We remember the cross. We remember that he gave his body willingly for us. He shed his blood willingly for us. And so we remember that with gratitude today, that we are thankful for that. And so we're going to have some time here for us to remember in communion. Now, the way we'll do that is just ask you in a moment um, to get up and to come to one of these stations around the room. You can choose one of these prepackaged little guys or the matzah and the cup of juice. And just I ask you to come grab that and take it back to your seat and then just sit and reflect as as we have a little time of just silent prayer and reflection, and then I'll come back and lead us all in taking communion together. So let's reflect upon the cost with gratitude in our hearts for what Jesus has done for us. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you. Thank you so much for you paying the cost of our peace. May we never forget. May it never be small to us. May it always be good news, Lord, of what you have done. So, Lord, today as we are grateful for the grace that you've given us, the grace that you gave Mary, as we long to be a people who respond like Mary did, God, may we remember what you have done. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.